One of the things in my endeavors I found is getting as close to the student or the customer is what helps to quiet that voice of doubt and insecurity in the entrepreneurial mind. So for us with Imagine Golf, we really spent a lot of time before we had any product talking to golfers and asking them questions, not about a product we were thinking about building, but why do you play golf? What got you into golf? What are some of your highlights in your golfing career for amateurs? What are you working on in your golf game? Where are you trying to go in your game? What are some of the ways that you think might accelerate you to get there? So it's really applying a curiosity, a curious mindset to the product development process. That leads to all sorts of unexpected things. The biggest mistake I've made in my entrepreneurial endeavors is to have a product idea and just run at it as opposed to starting with a curiosity approach and asking open-ended questions. It also helps from a marketing standpoint. You start to write down things people are saying and then it helps you when you start to do some marketing and you start to put together your story. You're speaking in the voice of the customer as it were, as opposed to the voice in your own head. Welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast, where we speak with the influencers, disruptors, entrepreneurs, and innovators who are shaping the future of golf. If you're a regular listener, welcome back. If you're new to the Mod Golf Podcast, thanks so much for joining us. I'm your host, Colin Weston, and today my guest is Malcolm Scoville, who is the founder of Imagine Golf. Imagine Golf is the number one app for daily lessons, pro tips, visualizations, stories, goal setting, and most importantly, and what we're really going to talk about today, inspiring golfers to improve the mental side of their game. I've been following Imagine Golf for a couple months now where I found them through an ad on one of the golf games that I was playing on my iPad and I was really intrigued and I know myself as a golfer as a 16 handicap one of the things I struggle with is that mental side of the game so I was drawn into that once I learned a little more I reached out to Malcolm on LinkedIn he said yeah let's do this thing and here we are so Malcolm thanks so much for joining us today and welcome to the Mod Golf Podcast. Great to be here, Colin. Really excited about having a conversation and yeah, admire what you're doing in the world of where entrepreneurship meets golf. It's exciting and uh, yeah, great to be a part of the community. I appreciate that. And that is a fantastic segue, Malcolm, because we are going to be talking about golf entrepreneurship. And I've taken a look at what you've done in the past that's led up to the kind of the culmination and the creation of Imagine Golf. And we want to touch on that as far as your entrepreneurial journey, not just the great things you're doing with Imagine Golf. So let's rewind the tape here a little bit and kick things off here. Can you tell us a bit about your personal and professional backstory in entrepreneurship that led to the creation of Imagine Golf? Yeah, sure. So I grew up in a small town called Sanford, North Carolina, not too far from Pinehurst. One of my earliest jobs was working the US Open, the one that Payne Stewart won and got to experience the magic of golf on a big stage. And that was part of the motivation to go to St. Andrews, Scotland for university. I was there for four years and this amazing deal that the students got access to was for a hundred pounds, about $150 at the time, you could play unlimited golf on the old course, the new course, the Jubilee. So wow. I spent as much time playing golf as I did studying economics and business. But one of the first entrepreneurial ventures was actually founding this thing called the Global Investment Group, which is still going today. And it's the largest student society at the university. It's a focus on bridging the gap between the University of St. Andrews and the world of business and finance. And we would bring up folks from the business world to give talks and sponsor events and that we would always fuse golf with it. So one of our sponsors was the large financial institution, State Street, and they would uh, organize something called the State Street Scramble. And so I just saw the power of golf and business fusing together. And 
I ended up going into the business world. I worked at Deutsche Bank for a couple of years and then went to a venture capital firm called Summit Partners, who, whose motto is, is fortune favors the bold, fortune favors the brave. And I just started to see these parallels between golf and business. The more time I spent around great entrepreneurs, I then left Summit to start the first of several entrepreneurial ventures, all focused really on, on helping people realize their potential in some way. Moved out to San Francisco from London about five years ago and joined a larger mobile shopping platform that really pioneered something called entertainment shopping. It's kind of like a turning a seven-day eBay auction into a 90-second buying experience. And one of the trends we saw was how attention spans are getting shorter and shorter. And for my next venture, I knew I was going to do something around helping people realize their potential, but in short, snackable ways. And I founded a company about a year ago called TLDR, which stands for Too Long, Didn't Read. And the idea I was going to ask you what that stood for. So now yeah, we know. There you go. Yeah. It's kind of an internet meme somewhat on Reddit and other places, but it really means give it to me quick, give it to me clear. My grandfather and father have a lot of great quips you know, that they taught their children and grandchildren through things like plan your work and work your plan. That's kind of the TLDR version of like a whole book on planning and prioritization. But uh, the vision behind TLDR is to build entertaining educational content that we deliver through mobile apps around passionate pockets of consumers, folks out in the world who really uh, are passionate about something. And one of our first products is Imagine Golf. It's focused on snackable audio content for golfers of all skill levels. And yeah, so I can share more about that, but that's what we're working on now. And really the vision behind Imagine Golf is to help golfers realize their potential on the course but there's a real vein of the application of how golf is a great microcosm for life. So all of the lessons inside the app, they tie into how we can have better relationships and we can improve our careers and to remember the importance of patience and, and focus and, and some other principles that extend far beyond the T's and greens of the world. Nice, nice. Well, we're going to drill down more into that, of course, with Imagine Golf. But just wanted to make a couple of comments on, on some of the great things you just put out there for us on that entrepreneurial journey you've been on. So I get a lot of emails from people that are looking to become entrepreneurs, most of the golf space, but some of them in, in other sectors also. And they want to know where to begin. And I can say when we began our entrepreneurial endeavors about seven years ago in the golf space, we had not built up what you had that community already, that knowledge, they have the confidence, the fact of working at a VC and actually working in the banking industry. And like you were talking about, the other things you had done with other startups and meeting other entrepreneurs, it sounds like you already were plugged in and you had this great, robust community that you can then tap into, which we didn't have, which I have now because we've worked very hard on mm -hmm. that. Podcast has actually been a way that we've managed to do that just to meet amazing people like yourself. And that keeps on growing. But for entrepreneurs out there, what Malcolm just had mentioned there, this overarching theme today of patience that we're going to talk about is being an entrepreneurial characteristic every successful entrepreneur needs to have is yes, you can't build it all in one day. You can't boil the ocean and you need to build up that community first rather than thinking you just create this product and then try to sell it to the world. So with that, I still want to rewind the tape a little bit before the launch yeah. of Imagine Golf. I want you to tell me about that aha moment. Because it sounds like you coming from that economics background, you're not a psychologist, you're not a psychiatrist. So what not only inspired you or what insights or gaps or pain points or opportunities did you see, Malcolm, when you were creating Imagine Golf and starting to bounce around and iterate what this could look like? That's a great question, Colin. I'm always tinkering with small products and testing things out with friends 
I think there's a natural tinkerer in us folks that are entrepreneurial. One of the things in my endeavors I found is getting as close to the student or the customer is what helps to quiet that voice of doubt and insecurity in the entrepreneurial mind. So for us with Imagine Golf, we really spent a lot of time before we had any product talking to golfers and asking them questions, not about a product we were thinking about building, but why do you play golf? What got you into golf? What are some of your highlights in your golfing career for amateurs? What are you working on in your golf game? Where are you trying to go in your game? What are some of the ways that you think might accelerate you to get there? So it's really applying a curiosity, a curious mindset to the product development process. That leads to all sorts of unexpected things. So one of these early calls was with a gentleman named John, who's based in Florida. He spent his life in the ministry and he's just a great source of wisdom and he's a great teacher. We talked about his what he was doing with golf, but also meandered to the topic of how he helps people kind of navigate their spiritual paths in life. So that was one of the things that led to this idea of the connection between the game of golf and so much in our lives. So that was, un- that was unexpected, these discoveries, these kind of nuggets that you uncover. So I think that's in terms of where to find those first conversations, obviously, you can just point to your friends. Initially, the biggest mistake I've made in my entrepreneurial endeavors is to have a product idea and just run at it as opposed to starting with a curiosity approach and asking open-ended questions. It also helps from a marketing standpoint. You start to write down things people are saying, and then it helps you when you start to do some marketing and you start to put together your story. You're speaking in the voice of the customer, as it were, as opposed to the voice in your own head. That's a key one. That's maybe sounds a little bit cliche, but I think the other one is once you do have a direction, it is a real focus on building a quality first product. I think the only way to do that is with simplicity. That's something I've been guilty of in the past is trying to do too much too early in an entrepreneurial venture. With my latest ventures and all my future projects, it's how do you cut through in a very noisy, cluttered market with a consumer experience that really resonate with folks and hopefully it's going to add value to their lives. Almost always simpler is better. And there's lots of ideas for new features and new things we can do. And I think the best example of a company doing this really well is Google, which is Mm -hmm. their homepage is still extremely simple. There's just a search bar and and a button and they've really fought hard to keep that. And a lot of their competitors, Yahoo and many others, really loaded up lots of different things. Oh, we could do this and we could add this. But that focus on simplicity and what is it that you're doing that's valuable? Yeah. Coming from the the design background myself as an architect, yes, that elegance in simplicity is so important. That's something that takes discipline and experience. So so one thing I, I love here, I have about five or six characteristics or traits that successful entrepreneurs embody. I'm not going to list the six of them, but you've already mentioned without me prompting you two of them. So you've talked about patience and you talked about curiosity. And I love that. I have a feeling here, Malcolm, that the other ones are going to reveal themselves without me even asking what you think the other ones are. So the other thing I love also, and this is such a universal truth for all entrepreneurs, what you talked about there, you make all these assumptions. You think you got this great thing to bestow upon the world here, whether it's a product, a service, an experience. And believe me, I've seen a lot of them at the PGA show that I go to every single year and people chasing me down and they got the most gimmicky thing. And it's like, whoa, no, <laughs> politely. And it's that classic situation as I know you've been in the startup world and entrepreneurship world long enough. The last thing you want to do is create something on time, on budget that nobody wants. You don't want to be creating a solution looking for a problem. Totally. I think that's why most companies fail is either there's not a customer or they haven't been able to find that customer. And that's where there's really two parts of successful businesses. 
there's many, many, but two big things in the early days are, can you make something people want? And in the words of Paul Graham, who says, make something people want is his startup advice. He created Y Combinator, like a startup accelerator. And the, the other piece is, can you get it in front of folks? Can you find ways for them to discover it? This is as important as making something people want. In my first startup, I didn't have that skill really. I think I did make something people wanted. And it was a small group of people that found it through some organic hustle. But there's ways to scale things on a larger basis. And you know whether it's earned media, like things like PR and partnerships, or it's paid media, where it's everything from TV advertising down to running ads on Google or, or Facebook. For the modern entrepreneur, there's some core skill sets there that are, are very easy to find. You just have to go and search them out and and it is trial and error. But I, I've got a lot of friends that have one or two products out in the market, a really cool sock company, but they don't understand marketing. They have a challenge helping folks find their really cool, unique sock concept. So those two things are critical. And obviously, the scale of business, there's all sorts of different skills. You know, it's, that's where leadership and management and hiring all come into play. Really, golf is a world where folks are passionate. You know, there's lots of ways to find golfers, but everybody has a different approach to do it. You got to find that in the early days. Yeah, absolutely. So a couple of things that you'd mentioned there too. Well, I want to go back to one of your previous comments here because you talked about not overcomplicating your product. And it sounds like you are very familiar with Eric Reese and the Lean Startup and creating that what they call minimal viable product, right? You don't want to have every single feature that you're considering or this thing that you think is, in air quotes, perfect. You need to get it out there and test it and get feedback, that feedback loop before you start to iterate. So maybe you can comment on that. Is that something that you approached or took yeah, for forward sure. as far as that Lean, Lean Startup approach to creating Imagine Golf? Yeah, I think that the lean startup, there's a you know whole book written about it, and it's actually pretty difficult to follow that formula. I think there's, yeah. like most things in life, if you follow the recipe for a great casserole and you follow it to the T and you have someone experienced looking over your shoulder, you'll probably make a great casserole. But if somebody like quickly explains how to make the casserole and then leaves, and then you're kind of stuck in the kitchen by yourself with a bunch of ingredients, you're probably going to mess it up. So I do think that there's lots of ways to build successful companies. There's no one right way for sure. And I love the biographies of how Sarah Blakely built Spanx and Phil Knight built Nike. And there's all these other great stories of the businesses that started scratching an itch and selling one product out of the trunk of the car. In each one of these, there is usually a very clear proposition for the consumer. And that's oftentimes arrived at by either personal pain, like Sarah Blakely had a problem was that she was looking for something that wasn't on the market that would kind of make her feel more slender. So that was a very clear pain point. Whereas I think Phil Knight on the other end of the spectrum says, there's some great products on the market, but I can build one that's a little bit better. Whatever approach you follow, try to have an approach. Tony Robinson says, model success. So I've certainly done that in my successful ventures or just getting promoted in previous companies I worked at. Finding somebody who says, great, this is how they did it. I'm going to implement some of the things that they did while also being true to myself and doing things my own way. Nice. But, yeah. <laughs> and, and those pain points you talk about, you got, as they say, get out of the building. You did just that. Because it's so easy as an entrepreneur. It's Well, it's kind of safe and comfortable to make these assumptions of this is what the market wants and this is what I'm creating and not going out there and asking questions. Because the last thing you want, because it is so ego-fueled and it's your personal thing that a lot of entrepreneurs don't want to share it because they've created what they consider to be this beautiful baby and they don't want anybody to tell them that their baby's ugly right but you need to find out that to make your yeah. baby better looking i guess for, yeah, for no, I think lack of a right. better analogy most babies are 
early days, Reed Hoffman talks about if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you've shipped it too late. It is take a lot of bravery to put something out there. But again, the biggest thing we did in the early days of Imagine Golf, I would have an hour or an hour and a half lined up for 15 minute calls. And I'd do four or five of these calls every day. And then we'd send folks a sleeve of balls to say thanks for their time. But that was really critical part of finding something that would help us make something people want. Obviously, then there's some other skills of like being able to build product, right? So, you know, we, mm-hmm. we have a mobile app. It's currently only in the iOS app store now, and we're going to put a, another app in the Android app store. But I've built many other apps in the past and worked on other apps. There's some trial and error there. There's some learning through doing that does take a while. So if you don't have that skill set in your own mind, then it helps to partner up with somebody that has done that. But there's by no means that we have to build an app. There's lots of successful ways to build online businesses now with online education platforms, or you can just create your own course and start marketing marketing and selling it. I think the big thing is is the confidence to start something. Best advice I got was just get one customer. You get one person to pay you and then and then get the next one and then the next one and the next one. And what it forces you to do is create something of value. And that first person that you ask to pay $10 for your product, if they say no, then you really ask and prove why. Okay, what's missing right now? To talk to more than one because there's some bias in just talking to one person. That's why it's important to talk to several. Yeah, this combination of our intuition and then the data that we acquire, whether it's qualitative data from conversations or quantitative data from really looking at how folks are engaging with what you've built. Those are some of the ingredients to success, I, I think. Yeah, I think your observations are on the on the right track. You mentioned in the last two things that you had said here, you mentioned partners and you mentioned partnerships. And I always want to touch on that because a lot of entrepreneurs think they have to go it alone, right? Or maybe they don't want to inconvenience other people. And it's a bit of an entrepreneurial saying that goes that if you want to go fast, go alone. But if you want to go far, you got to go together. And it sounds like you've really leaned in on partnerships to help propel yourself forward. So on, on that note, can you talk about the partnerships you have with Imagine Golf, especially with the content creators and producers that you're using that you aggregate to create the value that you have? on Imagine Golf. Our app is primary user experiences. Each week we will spotlight a new or classic golf book. And we also create some original content in the app around visualization exercises. One of our top courses is called the Driver's License Course. Created this fun thing called the Department of Mental Vehicles. And you learn how to drive your brain and your ball successfully from tee to green. There's concepts, course management and first tee jitters and playing under pressure, pre-shot routine, post-shot routine. It's really like a crash course in the mental game. I have a creative collaborator that I've worked with on writing some of these and and also helps to write the spotlights on these key concepts in some of the top golf books. So finding that creative collaborator was, I worked with lots of different people on a kind of a trial basis. So I think your first partners are like the early people that are involved in the business. Increasingly, folks are approaching life and their careers as a portfolio of projects. So you don't have to hire someone full-time right away in, in an early stage venture. It might be that your brother or sister or best friend can actually help out for a couple of hours a week, and that can help get the project going. So it's really like a partnership in a way. Also, like if you're building an app, then Apple is a partner, and Apple provides lots of resources on how to create great apps. Facebook and Google are partners in terms of finding new customers. And I think the biggest one is your customers are really like your best partners. The folks that are either using your product or paying you for the product are the best source of ideas and ways to grow. So we get, without question, our best ideas for new content we should create or courses we should come out with from our current members from the Imagine Golf community. And we're really grateful for that. And that has a virtuous cycle attached to it, which is something we think the world is lacking a bit right now. That's why we focused on audio, because it is a powerful format to communicate. 
is that folks will really tell you what they're looking for, really tuning into that and letting that lead a lot of decisions has been a great partnership. Being an entrepreneur is tough and it is a lot of doubt. It can be very lonely, but it is also be very rewarding and fulfilling. But working for a large company that's very well-funded, which I've done as well, it is a very different experience. You know, you're not worried about your next paycheck. You're not really worried about how the organization works. You know, everything's kind of been figured out over many years before you joined. But when you're starting to create everything from scratch, it can kind of feel like you're in the kitchen with a bunch of ingredients and you're not really quite sure how to make the casserole. (laughs) So um, yeah, it's important to have close friends and therapists, coaches. I'm a big believer in getting coaching in your career. Every great golfer has a coach on the mental game nowadays, as well as their physical game. I think we all need a coach to help us get in top shape on our mental game. And I'd say that's a key partnership in being a successful founder. Because in golf, as in business, the big barrier is our mental game. It's what differentiates in many ways. The Tiger Woods is, obviously he's been through different stages of his mental game. And the Elon Musks of the world, when they're on their best form, or Sarah Blakely, to use a female example, who's a phenomenal entrepreneur in Spanx or Oprah Winfrey, at the periods of their career where they're really humming, their mental game is really tapped in and they're really strong there. And then when things could go wrong, they fall back a bit. It's definitely something mental that's that's at play there. And the trigger could be something else. It could be a physical trigger, like an injury. But again, that's why we're really trying to focus on applying golf as a real microcosm and metaphor for life and in the teaching that we do. Love it. Love it. And you touched on it. Another attribute, now that I'm thinking about this, it seems the attributes that make you a successful or a strong entrepreneur also help you in golf. And I think the other one, the third one here was resiliency. You didn't actually say the R word, but being resilient, especially when faced with adversity. And with golf, we always have blow up holes. We have things, we got a bad lie. Things don't go your way. Golf gods are frowning on you, that particular hole. And I'm sure you've seen it. I was just golfing with some guys last weekend. I don't really know these two guys that I was paired up with. And one guy was just losing it every single time as if he can't believe that he hit that bad shot or it clipped that tree. It's like, you know what? That's life. That's golf. So we've got three of what I consider the characteristic ingredients of successful entrepreneurs here as far as patience, curiosity, and now resilience that you've mentioned here. And all three of those apply to golf also. Totally. That's why it's great. I love the fact that golf, every every time you go out, you're going to make mistakes. And just like in life, we all make mistakes. And golf is rare because it's so public what your mistakes are. And many people's lives, the mistakes aren't as public and try to put them under the carpet. But it's, it's okay to acknowledge those. I've had failed startups and sometimes it takes a little while to bounce back from that. So I think resilience is something that you that you learn along the way as well. But yeah, I think that that resilience one is really, really key at every stage of the entrepreneurial and golfer's journey. Absolutely. One of the books that I, I read, this is years ago, I think it was published almost 20 years ago. I'd be shocked, Malcolm, if you haven't heard of this book, and that's Golf for Enlightenment by Deepak Chopra. I haven't read it in years now. I need to go back because I've got it on the shelf gathering dust. But that opened up my mind to that mental side of the game or that other plane that you can work on. So it sounds like you've really taken with Imagine Golf, embraced a lot of the things that Chopra had talked about in that book and are now delivering those in shareable bite-sized pieces on a daily or weekly basis through the app. Would that be a fair assessment to say? Yeah, enlightenment. Yeah, that's really a great question. Enlightenment is really, my understanding of it is reaching a pinnacle of human potential. And it's something that I think all of us are somewhat more consciously than others, really aiming to find our and fulfill our potential. And golf is a great teacher. It goes both ways, though. 
if you are leaning towards having a short attention span in life or a short fuse when it comes to your anger, golf is going to reveal that quite quickly. One of the big things that we talk about in the app is visualization. And I think it was Jack Nicholas's quote, I never hit a shot, not even in practice without having a very sharp in-focus picture of it in my head. But he talks about a shot like that could be one shot on the golf course, but also like Jack Nicholas, he took a shot at his career. He took a shot at life. It kind of reminds me of that Hamilton song where it's like, I'm not going to give up this shot. I'm not going to miss this shot. And one of the shots we're all kind of taking is like making our life count, whether it's towards enlightenment or just towards one day lying on a bed as an aged man or woman and saying, wow, I did it right. You know? So mm-hmm. yeah, there's so many metaphors between golf and ultimately living a great life. Yeah, yeah. So I want to drill down a little bit into the visualization piece of this. Myself being an architect and visual designer, I've learned with sports, the best way I learned is as a visual learner. One of your emails that went out that I saw talked about, take dead aim, take dead aim at the flag. And I believe that's a quote from Harvey Pennock, his little red book, I believe him talking about this. It's like, just take dead aim. After reading you reminding me of that a couple emails ago, I started doing that at the golf course, whether it's actually seeing the 150-yard marker down the middle of the fairway or looking at the pin and taking dead aim. And, And that focus, there's been a noticed improvement in myself. So I think that alone, that visualization piece is very, very strong. And I just want to mention this because you and I in a previous conversation had talked about this, or I had mentioned another podcast I listened to was called the Happiness Lab Podcast. They had an episode called Don't Think of a White Bear. And that comment, Don't Think of a White Bear, the uh, psychiatrist that came up with this test a hundred or so years ago with a control group of telling people in a room, talking to them is like, okay, white bear, People are like, what? Don't think of or visualize a white bear. And then, of course, through the conversations they had, that's all people could remember. And this ties into golf because on the podcast, they talked about once we get a thought in our heads, we can't suppress it or trying only to think of that causes us misery or in golf, actually a negative thing. And it's interesting because they talked about explaining how our brains work in this way. And they interviewed a golf pro who confronted this and had to overcome these disruptive thoughts of don't look at the water. There isn't sand over there. Don't do this. And these bad memories. And he had the it got so bad he ended up having the dreaded yips and how he overcame that. So maybe you could talk a bit about that as far as our mind. If we think of something negative, whether it's don't hit it there, don't do that rather than focusing on the positive. Is that something that as far as the enlightenment piece that you talked about? I think that like take that aim is great because it's this like, it takes this big whole idea of what do I do before my shot? And, And it condenses it into three words. A lot of our teaching in Imagine Golf is use that snackable cuts through the noise pieces of advice. So like some of the kind of topics that you might see is like feed the good wolf, which is about like a three minute daily lesson on feeding the good wolf, which is based on this old tale of there's two wolves. They're always talking to us, a bad wolf and a good wolf. And they're in our ears. The question is like, well, both of them are hungry. And like the wolf that you feed is the one that is going to impact your life the most. So really focus on feeding the good wolf. And it's really like focus on your positive thoughts, focus on the encouraging words that are in your head. And these voices in our head is really what we're all about, right? Is how do you change these voices in your head so that when you're standing in front of the, on the tee box, you can think, take dead aim. And you have a little bit of understanding about the power of choosing a very specific spot down the fairway or on the green. And the benefit of that is that it's basically a good wolf. You're feeding where you want the ball to go and consciously and subconsciously, all sorts of great things happen there as opposed to what most of us do by default, which is we think, oh, there's like seven or eight people watching me. I shouldn't screw this up. That's the bad wolf. So um, if you plant these seeds of thought in the mind of a human being and you continue to nurture those thoughts, then they will grow into 78 times in a golf round that golfer 
taking dead aim and shooting 78, as opposed to let's let the mind just weeds grow in the mind and let's just let the mind think whatever it will think. The mind is going to look for threats. A big threat is how we're perceived by our peers in our tribe goes back many, many clicks of evolution. So like, oh, there's people looking at me. Maybe if I make a mistake, they're not going to accept me. And that's what like one of the evolutionary triggers of why folks have anxiety, like performance anxiety. But if their brain is trained and taught to focus on taking dead aim or a number of other pre-shot routines or, or swing thoughts, then that's going to occupy their brain as opposed to some of these other less helpful voices. Other concepts, you know, in these great books like How Champions Think by Bob Rotella or How I Play Golf by Tiger Woods or The Champion's Mind by Jim Aframo, The Secret of Golf by Joe Posnanski, The Timeless Swing by Tom Watson. Is, there's all these simple, clear concepts that that's why we love buying these books and why so many folks in Imagine Golf are book readers because they love discovering these ideas in the app and then they'll buy the book and dig deeper. But they're really filled with very actionable advice of how do I go from where I am now at 15, 20 handicap or five handicap to the next level. And there's specific seeds that we plant in our minds that take us to where we go in all parts of our life. Got it. Got it. Well, when we started this conversation, I didn't think we were going to be talking about wolves and white bears, but uh, but here we are. <laughs> there we and go. that's, uh, that's we just go. the way it's it just kind of our conversation is just kind of organically developed. So before I let you go here, really enjoyed this too. This, this has been really great stuff. Just I can as talk far about as this stuff all day with you, Colin. It's like, uh, it's, yeah, it's a pleasure. Golf, <laughs> a business and everything in between. Well, on that note, we are going to, after we finish up with the audio portion here for the podcast episode, Malcolm and I are going to jump on a Zoom call here. So we are going to do a brief video interview that we will then post on our YouTube channel for the Mod Golf Podcast, which we will have additional content there. So I'm not going to ask you every single question I have here because I want to save some some extra stuff for there. But before we leave here, uh, perhaps you can mention to our listeners out there, the ones especially that are interested in entrepreneurship and have some ideas, could perhaps you could share maybe one positive thing that they should do starting out and maybe one cautionary tale and also one thing that they should avoid or what kind of misstep that you made? Two things come to mind. One is when it comes to finding what you're going to build, well, obviously any business is either selling a product, a physical product, like a golf ball or a golf club or a service. It could be education or it could be consulting, you know, any number of services. So I think it's really finding like, okay, what do I want to do in the world? It's probably already in the world in some way. Like we started an, an education platform and one of our first verticals is golf, but there's lots of education platforms out there. There's lots of ways to learn. We didn't try to reinvent the wheel. We tried to create something that we could do in our own unique way. We didn't have to, to start from scratch. So I would say the takeaway there is find inspiration in something that already exists and do it your own way, a little bit different, a little bit better. There's a lot of universities in the world. Doesn't mean another there's not room for another great university. Your university can be very successful because it does something different and it does it your way. The other one is is learn the skill of, of marketing. Don't go into it thinking that because you have created a great widget, it's going to, if you build it, they will come. You've got to think about distribution and and how to find your customers. I think those are two things that, that come to mind. No, I, I love those. 
especially your first one. I talk to entrepreneurs about this all the time because they all think, just like you touched on here, Malcolm, that you have to have this blank white piece of paper and create something from scratch that no one's ever thought about where you are an entrepreneur like myself through the experience is you pull all these other elements that are successful or that resonate from other industries, from even from other sports and entertainment and things that work, that add value for people. And you bring all those pieces in. And I remember when I was in first year architecture school, when you had this mindset that you had to create something pure and from scratch. I remember having oh, this wow. one this one old, really crusty professor that we had, this old German guy. And he actually said to us, one guy created something that was obviously so unique that it was just you know, a piece of garbage, but he tried really hard. And he just told us, he said, the good ones borrow, but the great ones steal. And we're like, whoa, <laughs> yeah. isn't that plagiarism? But in a way, it's like, that is, that is so true. The good ones borrow and the great ones steal, right? And taking those ideas that have worked in other industries and you've done and other experiences, you've done that. So that was a great piece of advice there. Malcolm, so thank you for that. So hey, when we wrap up here, Malcolm, could you please tell our listeners where they can get the app? Tell us a little more where they can find you on social media and the best way that they can download yeah. uh, Imagine Golf. Yeah, our app is just Imagine Golf. It's in the, the iOS app store and coming to Android. So if, if, it's, if you're on Android, we're, we're sorry, we're not quite there yet, but we're working hard on that. It will be out soon. And we, we probably have most engagement on our Instagram, which is Imagine Golfers on Instagram. Good stuff. There you go. So because uh, I do have more questions here, but I'm going to hold off. I'm going to show a little bit of restraint here and some patience, maybe some, we all curio- need, we all need some curiosity and resilience too as we go here. And I'm going to hold off and leave it at that so we can then jump on to our YouTube session. People can come join us there too. For the folks here, one finish here, and maybe it's a little bit of a hook to come listen to this next thing we're doing, but the biggest challenge is folks on consistency. How do I be more consistent? As we hear that from all golfers of all skill levels. And one tangible takeaway is to focus on being more consistent in your pre-shot routine. What you do consistently before your shot is going to have a very big impact on the consistency of your shot. It's just something that we're working a lot on right now is is how to help folks be more consistent. So focus on a consistent pre-shot routine. And uh, that has a lot of application in your business life too. Consistently plan your day, consistently organize meetings, consistent, you know, consistency has a lot of benefits in life on and off the course. Absolutely. And thank you for that last little nugget of wisdom there that we're going to leave our listeners with. And I do agree completely. And I found that in podcasting too, that more consistent we are with releasing episodes, people just then are, that trust is built up then, right? Absolutely. The and, and human, it's human nature. It's almost like a warm hug. They know you're going to be there, right? And the fact that it's dependable. And, it's uh, trust. And yeah, it's a big bunch of trust that's built through consistency. So um, yeah, I think this is a hold on the podcast we could do on consistency, but um, absolutely we'll leave, leave so it there. Well, we'll talk about trust and, uh, and consistency a little bit more on, on our video portion here. So we'll leave it at that. So Malcolm Scoville, founder of Imagine Golf. Malcolm, this has been amazing. I, I love this conversation. Thanks so much for spending Thank the time you, with Colin. us today on the Mod Golf Podcast. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Malcolm Scoville, founder of Imagine Golf. If you'd like to learn more about Malcolm, visit our show page where we've included website links and additional content. Speaking of additional content, I invite you to check out the bonus Zoom video interview Malcolm and I recorded that we posted on the ModGolf Podcast YouTube channel. This video link is also on the episode's show page, and please subscribe to our YouTube channel while you're there. If you leave a comment, I promise to respond. I'd like to express my gratitude and thanks to our sponsor partners, Golf Genius Software and British Columbia Golf, for helping make the ModGolf Podcast happen. Without their support, I wouldn't be able to bring you these engaging stories from golf's brightest innovators and influencers. If you enjoyed this conversation about entrepreneurship in the golf industry, you can find more compelling episodes at Apple Podcasts, Spotify, 
Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you go to listen in. I'm your host, Colin Weston. Thanks so much for joining me. Bye for now.